I was driving through the middle of the protests in downtown Austin yesterday and trying to figure out how to think about it theologically. That's what we're going to wrestle with today on Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. Welcome back to Cross Defense. If you're cross-defensing for the first time, welcome to Cross Defense. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, your host for the next hour here on Cross Defense. I'm pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, here with you every Monday, trying to ignite the spark of theological imagination to fight against the devil's temptation of boredom. Now, I've got a couple of things I'm interested in sort of exploring with you all today. And I think I'll open up the Twitter. So if you want to if you want to comment back or you have questions, that might be the best way to get a hold of me. I can I think I can check that while the show's going on. So we I search for Wolfie. There's not many Wolfmuthers around. Brian Wolfmuther on Twitter. You should find me, tag me there and send me a question. I'm I'm thinking about a couple of things. One, I'm thinking about the riots in the street. I was in the middle of it yesterday here in Austin, Texas. I'll tell you the story. And I'm also thinking about Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit, the twofold holiness that the Holy Spirit brings to us. I, I've got both on, on my mind. So we'll sort of let them wander. Let the, we'll give these uh, thoughts some free reign and, and see where we end up. First, I, so um, I'm, I have two congregations here in Austin, Texas, and one of them, St. Paul Lutheran Church, is on the north side of downtown. So if you know Austin, Texas at all, there's sort of downtown, then right above it is the is the state capital, and then right above that, north of that, is the University of Texas, and just a couple blocks north of the University of Texas is St. Paul Lutheran Church. And then south of downtown, the business uh, district, is the lake, Lady Bird Lake, and then b south of that is Congress Street. That's kind of the hip place to hang out. And right off of Congress Street, right across the street from Jesus Def, or from the, uh, uh, the Texas School for the Deaf, is Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church. And so I have two congregations. One's right on the north side of downtown, and the other's kind of on the south side of downtown. So to drive from one to the other, as I do on Sunday afternoons, I've got a she's got a skimmy shimmy through downtown Austin. It's normally not that big a deal. Normally like a ten minute, fifteen minute drive on Sunday, straight down the interstate. But I got after our communion service yesterday afternoon, I got on the interstate to drive south, and all of a sudden there's a police car blocking the interstate. And I pulled off, and I thought, what's going on here? And I turned on the radio, and it turns out that I heard on the radio just as I was seeing it that there was protests happening in downtown Austin and that the protesters had walked onto the interstate and blocked the interstate, at least one direction, maybe another direction. And I was all of a sudden right in the middle of it. I was driving along, and there was I was kind of stuck in traffic, and on every side of me was protesters headed this way and that way. Uh, I got to see the signs and hear the yelling. Most people were in good spirits, seemingly, but I got to the point where the police were actually blocking the on-ramp to the interstate in their gear and uh, with their riot gear, and the people were right up in their face. It's a fascinating thing. I'd never been that close to that. and It had the the raw feel of, uh, I mean, there was so, so much emotion that was there. So much, uh, so much pent up anger. Now I don't know. I, you know, you can't read the hearts of people, so I don't know what they were doing. I know that these protests have been sparked by uh, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis 
uh, from last week, and that that was a spark that has lit this fire. I mostly am sad about this whole thing. I mean, I, I've been trying to process what to think about it and, and how to understand it. And, you know, one of the dangers of talking about the, these things publicly on YouTube or on the radio or whatever is that you're supposed to have these hard and fast thoughts and opinions about these things. And no doubt many of you listening have stronger opinions even than I will as we're talking today. Uh, and I, but I'm still processing. I'm still kind of working through these things, still trying to sort out what I think about it. It's very, and, and so I'm just, if it's all right with you guys, I'm just going to sort of think out loud with you and, 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 and see what, what thoughts uh, sort of come to mind as we reflect on these things. And I might tell you about some of the things I saw. I mean, the worst thing, well, that maybe the most, one of the most interesting things, I'd never seen this before, is that there was groups of people traveling around with, as basically as medics <laughs> and medical help here, first aid here. So there's people that just brought down their first aid kits, and they were going down there assuming that there were going to be people who were hurt and wounded and who were going to need some first aid help. And I got to see it. There was one lady with a, a gash in her cheek that looked like it was going to need a number of stitches, and I'm not sure how that happened. And There was people wounded from... Uh, from the rubber bullets that were shot, there was pepper spray. I think the police um, shot some sort of pepper spray into the crowd right as I was going through. So the crowds kind of all of a sudden shifted directions. I was kind of sitting there in the car right in the middle of it, and, and it shifted directions. And I heard on the news it was because they were spraying, I think it was pepper spray or whatever it's used, in those kind of circumstances. Uh, so it's very, so so anyway, I, I got to see this um uh, the the people who were there caring for other people, which I thought that's a really interesting way to care and love the neighbor. You're going down there where where you know bad things are going to happen, and that was it. You know, everyone seemed to go knowing that bad things were going to happen. You could feel it. I mean, I, you know, I was kind of safely in the air conditioned car, <laughs> observing all these things up close, but you could feel that it was. That there was this rawness there so that was just ready to, it was just ready to go, you know. It was at any time things could could go crazy, and I guess a few times it did last night, even in Austin, but all across the country there was looting and and things, you know, b buildings and businesses and set on fire, uh, property destroyed, people hurt, injured, and so forth. Now, I, so what do we make of it? What do we make of it? Number one, I think that it's interesting for us as Christians to see the spiritual dynamics of temptation. Now stick with me a little bit and let's see if we can make this apply. Because one of the things that we experience in our own lives is being sinned against. And by the way, if you want to chime in, I, oh yeah, I pulled up the Twitter so you can send me stuff. I, I forgot how to send me... I forgot how to send me a note. You, oh, yeah, at B. Wolfmuller. That's probably the best way to do it, and I'll keep an eye on that over here on the side. So if you're on Twitter and want to send something to me, at B. Wolfmuller, I'll, I'll try to keep an eye on that. Uh, one of the things that we know is that is that not only are we sinners, but we are sinned against. I mean, this makes sense, right? I mean, if, if we confess that we are sinners and we're out and about sinning every day, then we know that there are those who perpetrate sin and those who receive sin who are victims of sin and that's us now it's interesting is it not to think how much time we spend 
wrestling with our own sin and our own guilt. In other words, we know that we, because of our own sin, because of our own guilt, that we rightly deserve God's condemnation, God's punishment, which is true. That, that no one is, uh, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That no one is righteous, no, not one. That all of us deserve God's wrath. All of we're, That we are born, how does Paul say it in Ephesians? That we are born children of wrath. That's what we deserve, God's wrath and his anger. We've, we've truly earned it because of our own sin, because of our own guilt. So we are sinners, and, and for sinners, Christ came and Christ died. God be praised. That all the things that I've done wrong, all the commandments that I've broken, all the, all the malicious and wicked thoughts and words and deeds that have emanated from me, Brian Wolfmuller, all of those were suffered by Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and so my sin is on him as he is whipped and crucified that he took the accusations written against me in the law, and he carried them to the cross. This picture that keeps coming back, this beautiful picture, of, that the list of my sins was in the hand of Jesus when that hand was nailed to the cross, and now it's destroyed. It's covered with blood. It cannot be read. It will not stand before God the Father. That Jesus is there pleading for me, for you, his blood which washes away our sins. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember how Jesus says to the paralyzed man, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Or to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go in peace, sin no more. Jesus says, Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. And this is the heart of the New Testament. Remember the preaching from Jeremiah. He says, I will make a New Testament. I will remember their sins no more. He's cast our iniquity into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. It's glorious preaching the gospel. Glorious. So we know that we are sinners who are forgiven. But then there's another problem. Because we are also neighbors who are sinned against. And what do we do with that? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this as well. But we, we, I, at least in my own experience, it's hard, it's, I have not heard it preached. And so we need, to, we need to take this topic up. What do we do when we are sinned against? What do we do when we're murdered? Well, you don't have too much choice then. But what do you do when your family is the victim of murder or abuse or or theft or injustice what do you do when you're sinned against in fact this is a an amazingly difficult thing because we are defined in a lot of ways by the sins committed against us I know in my conversations with people as a pastor that the things that shape their hearts and their minds and their thinking and their life and their and their choices, a lot of times, are the sins that are committed against them. From their parents, or from their childhood, or from someone in authority, and that's particularly bad. Now we want to remember that, that when we're sinned against, the temptation is to, is to strike back. 
I mean, the first reaction to being sinned against is anger, which is understandable. I mean, that's if you're angry, that's because you've been sinned against. It's a good way to figure it out. If you just sit there and think, well, who am I angry at or what am I angry about? And that you figure out, oh, that's a... I mean, it could be wrong anger, but generally that's because that's where you've been sinned against. And so so our first reaction to being sinned against is anger, and that anger then wants to manifest itself in getting even, in destroying, or in, in removing that person, or at least at the, at the kind of lowest common denominator of anger is that you have, you have taken someone or something off of the list of those whom you are obligated to love. In fact, if we want to define it like this, we can just say that anger is justified lovelessness. When I'm angry at you, I know Jesus says I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but you're not my neighbor. Look at what you did to me. When I'm, when I'm angry at that guy, I know that I'm supposed to treat all people well, but look at what he did to me. I don't need to treat him well. In other words, I've been able to take him off of the list of people whom I owe love or respect or whatever. That's what anger does. That's why anger is a consumer, a, a, a consuming fire. It's a devourer. That's a better way. Anger is a devourer. Anger is like Novocaine on the conscience. Uh, I remember, you know, if you go to the dentist and they got to do some of their terrible dentistry work, and so they they give you a shot so you can't feel it. Right in that one spot, you go numb, so you can't you can't feel it. So. So, so what happens when I'm ang when I'm angry with someone? It's like the the it's like there's a Novocaine shot in my conscience, right where that person is, so that I can do all sorts of terrible things, think all sorts of terrible things, plot all sorts of terrible things against that person, and I don't feel it in my conscience. It just doesn't show up. I remember one time I was fishing with my friend Don Honan from Australia. Oh, Don, what a guy! And we were sitting there fishing, and. Uh, and he went to cast the fishing rod, and it hit me right in the back of the head, swap, and hooked me, hooked my scalp. But it, it slapped me so hard, the slap kind of numbed my head so that I didn't even feel it. Don thought he got a snag in a bush and was jerking it, and it was pulling my head. Don, hey, you caught me. not the. So we walked home with Don holding the fishing rod over my head. <laughs> And my mom tried to get the fish hook out of my head with a pair of pliers, and that's when I started to feel it, man. Whoo-wee. So off to the emergency room, and the doctor gave me a shot of that Novocaine, and I couldn't feel it as he, as he unhooked me. This is what happens when someone, when someone sins against you. It's like, it's like that slap. It takes away the feeling of the conscience, so you don't feel bad for treating them bad. If you treated a stranger the way you treat the people that you're angry with, boy, oh boy. But you see, you see, you see what happens? I don't have to love them. They're my enemy. <laughs> now Jesus comes straight at this. Straight at it. In the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who harm you. What good is it if you love the people who love you back? Even the pagans do that, says Jesus. But the Christian knows just what to do with the enemy, just what to do with the person who hurts them, just what to do with the people that make us angry. We know just what to do. Jesus gives us a list of four things, to love, to bless, to do good, and to pray. 
Now, what happens? What happens when the people who sin against us are in authority over us? The temptation becomes even more difficult. There's some more dynamics to it. And I think I want to pre let's press into that a little bit if we can. We've got to go to the break, though, now. You're listening to Cross the Fence. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We're talking about riots. We're talking about social injustice. We're talking about the Christian response to these things. We've got a short break, and we'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Hello. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back to Cross the Fence. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, trying to figure out Twitter to see if I actually know how to use this thing. At B. Wolfmuller, if you want to say something, comment, question, so forth. We're talking about riots. We're talking about social injustice. We're talking about Christianity and her wisdom when it comes to being sinned against. There's a sense... Mm -hmm. One of the hardest things is to forgive. In fact, let me just maybe say this. The hardest thing to do is to forgive. Remember when Remember when the Pharisees got so mad at Jesus for forgiving the man who was paralyzed? They said, "Hey, no one can forgive sins but God alone." There's something to that. This is it's not just I mean, they were saying, "You don't have the authority to do it because you're not God." And that's right, but there's something about the forgiveness of sins that require this is a divine activity. And, the, and and forgiveness costs something. It's one of the it's one of the profound insufficiencies of Islamic theology. 
is that forgiveness is disconnected from any atonement. Forgiveness, so far as I understand it in Islamic theology, is simply a free act of the will of God. Whereas in the Bible, it requires the shedding of blood. There's a reason that God finds Adam and Eve in the fig leaves and says it's not enough, and he slaughters an animal to cover the shame of their nakedness. The, the life is in the blood, and the, there's, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All of that was preaching, the death of Jesus, and especially the suffering of Jesus. It's There's suffering when it comes to forgiveness. That's why it's so much easier. Have you noticed this? I, I notice this all the time. When someone hurts you or sins against you or does something wrong to you and they come and apologize, it's so much easier to say, I oh, don't worry about it, than it is to say, I forgive you. It's hard to say, I forgive you. If you I, and, and one of the reasons why is because if you say, I forgive you, you're admitting that whatever happened actually hurt and harmed you in in other words you're giving that person this is a new way to say it but it's you're giving that person power over you in a way you're saying yes you can hurt me and you did hurt me if you just say no nah, no nah, it's fine whatever no big deal in other words you're, when you say that you're saying i'm you cannot hurt me i'm impervious to you now it might hurt you but i'm not going to admit it i'm not going to let you in i'm not going to i'm not going to say that you have any authority or power or, or you you can't even touch me ah it's fine don't worry about it but if i say i forgive you you're saying yes that did hurt that did hurt acknowledging it and i'm letting it go there's a cost to forgiveness and when it comes to God's forgiveness, there is an ultimate cost. There is the death and resurrection of Jesus that has to take place there. But once that has taken place, once God has taken on our flesh and blood in order to take on our sin and to die our death in our place, then, then we are set free to be forgiving people. The Christian is a forgiven forgiver. Christian people are forgiving people. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, this is not a cause and effect. It's not saying, Lord, we're going to forgive other people so you can forgive us. It goes the other direction. Lord, recognizing that your mercy toward us is beyond our asking or imagining, grant us your Holy Spirit so that we might also reflect that mercy and forgive those who sin against us. Jesus tells a parable to elucidate this. Remember the parable of the unjust? No, no. What what do we call that parable? The two guys, the the the, the huge big debtor and the little baby debtor. The the parable of the merciful king. I think that's what we call it. Here's the story. There was a guy who owed a king some hundreds and, and thousands of dollars. A debt that would it would have it was a uh, it was thousands of years manual labor huge debt i mean the kind of debt that you get it's not this is not this is not like car debt credit card debt this is this is like national debt kind of debt this is like going to war kind of debt he had a massive debt to the king and so he goes to the king because the king says pay me everything you owe or else i'm going to throw you in prison and the in debtor's prison and I'll get it out of you that way. And so the guy goes, begs the king for more time. Now, interestingly, the king does not answer his prayer. The king does not give him more time. Instead, the king forgives him all of his debt. He just says, 
Fine. I he- I've heard. I- I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to. I'm going to let you go. You don't owe me anything. Imagine it. Now, my friend Pastor Melius pointed out this out to me. He says, "Well, someone's got to pay it. You know, the king has to take the loss." <laughs> And that's what Jesus does. I mean, he takes the loss on the cross. He absorbs the debt that we owe in his suffering. But the king sets this man free, and this man, what does he do? He goes outside, and he finds a guy who owes him a couple hundred bucks, and he grabs him by the neck, and he says, pay me everything that you owe me. And the guy says, in the parable Jesus tells it, he puts the same exact words in this guy's mouth that the other guy had just said to the king he said give me time and I'll pay you everything I owe and instead of having mercy on him he throws him in prison and the word of this gets back to the king the forgiving merciful king and he's so angry that he goes and grabs this guy and he throws him in prison (laughs) he revokes his mercy now I want to. I, I just want to contrast this. Let me let me try this. If you can stick with me for a little mental experiment here, let's let's retell the parable a different way. Let's say that this debtor goes before the king and he owes a bajillion dollars, and he says to the king, "Give me more time, and I'll repay you." And the king says, "Fine, I'll give you more time. You have three years or two weeks or whatever. You got more time. How much time you want? You want?" A year? You got a year. Go, go. And then, and then, he leaves the king's chamber, and he finds a guy who owes him a couple of a thousand bucks, and he says, oh, you owe me a couple thousand bucks. I need that, that a couple thousand bucks to pay back the king. And he, and he takes him and puts him in the stranglehold and says, pay me everything you have. And he says, I, give me some time. He says, no, I need it now. And he goes and he throws him in jail. Now, here, here's the point. If the king would not have had mercy on the man... If the king would not have forgiven his debt, then that guy doing what he did to the other servant, strangling him and throwing him in prison, makes 100% sense. In fact, it becomes the right thing to do. If the king hadn't had mercy, but the king was demanding everything, then going out and demanding that kind of righteousness from everyone else is what makes sense. It's what seems right. And that is the world's idea of justice. But the church has a different idea. Because we know the mercy of the king, because we know, because our debt to God has been forgiven, because we know the love of God in the blood and suffering and death of Jesus Christ, we are now set free to forgive. Forgive one another. Forgiveness, in other words, only makes sense in light of the gospel. Forgiveness only seems right if you know the love of God in Christ. Otherwise, it seems foolish. And holding someone, holding their feet to the fire, and demanding absolutely everything from someone is what makes sense if you don't know the mercy of the king. In other words, there's two standards of right and wrong depending on depending on if you know the cross. Depending on if you know Christ. We should have that clear. So the church knows how we are supposed to treat those who have sinned against us. We're supposed to forgive them. We're supposed to to love them. 
We're supposed to serve them. We're supposed to bless them. We're supposed to pray for them, to pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, now we need to we need to take this over into the idea of sins that are accomplished with by those who are in authority. We talked about this. We talked because we're talking about the riots and we're talking about the idea that. Well, we're talking about this particularly sad idea that there is, at least there is, it is understood that, that there is a particular group of people that, because of their racial identity, do not receive the fair hand of justice. Now, that is the accusation. Now, if that accusation is right or wrong, I'm not sure. I don't think it's the right question to ask, by the way. Uh, because I don't, think the, I don't think you can ask that question from a biblical perspective, because I don't think that the idea of race exists in the biblical mind. I think that race is a delusion. Ra ra I mean, all of us, remember how we have to talk about this. I mean, all of us are related to Adam and Eve. All of us are related to Noah. All of us, every single person that we see is created in the image of God. And that if anyone would come and make an argument against that, if anyone would say that there's, that there's one person who is different from another according to the image of God or according to human dignity or according to anything else like that, that is simply a lie that strikes not only at that person, fifth commandment, it's an act of murder, but it also strikes against God who created them. We should just remember, and this is hard for us, but how about this, if this was the Christian attitude, that everywhere we go is a family reunion, a Noah family reunion. You know, have you? I, I think I've been to one family reunion. We should have more of them in my family. They, but there's a couple. They happen every once in a while. I, I haven't been close enough until just now to actually get to any family reunions, which has been kind of terrible. So I think there was one time I went to a family reunion. You know how it goes. When you go to the family reunion, you see a lot of people. You don't know who they are, but you know that you're all related. You know you're all part of the same family. And so you go up and you talk to them because they're part of your family. They're part of your clan. You got a part of the fun of us trying to figure out how you're related to them. What if, what if we had that attitude with every single person that we met? I mean, you could walk into Walmart and you look at everybody walking around and you're like, these are my long lost relatives. Some of them I've never seen before. <laughs> well, I guess suppose all of them I've never seen before. Here's the lady, you know, checking you out at the Walmart, telling you how much to pay for your socks or whatever. You're like, I know we go back. It might be a ways, but you and I are related somehow. They were all one, we are all one big family. Now, I, I, so the idea of, of dividing people up by race simply does not hold up for the, for the Christian. Anyway, but there are structures of authority. Now, this is what I want to press towards. How much time do I have? I'm going to press towards this because we talked about in the first segment how, how, how when one person sins against you, there's a temptation to take them off of the list of people that you love, etc. But there's a, there's a, that becomes even more difficult when the sin that comes against us is from someone in authority. Now we know that there are basically three structures of authority in the world. There's the family, the most basic and perhaps most important. 
and that's the authority of husband uh, over his wife, of mom and dad, husband and wife over their children. That's the fourth commandment authority, honor your father and your mother. That's the basic authority structure. And then there's the authority of the church, and that is a teaching authority. It is the authority of the Word of God, the authority of truth. It's not a coercive authority. It's the authority of wisdom and comfort. That's pastor and people. So the, pa the people are to submit to the, to the pastor. The pastor has authority over the church and so forth. That's there. And then there's a third structure of authority, which is the state. Those who rule and those who are ruled. Now, how we understand this authority in our own sort of experiment in self-government is maybe a little bit tricky, but, but that the authority of the state is the authority of the sword, and the authority of the sword is the authority to kill. And that authority of the sword is directed both inwardly and outwardly, outwardly through war and inwardly th toward, uh, through the courts, through the police, through the justice system, and so forth. And it's given by God. Hebrews 13 talks about being subject to the governing authorities because they do not bear the sword in vain. And can you imagine that Paul wrote that to the Christians who were living in Rome under the time of Nero? Nero was a kook. And he hated Christians, that Nero. He would kill Christians at any chance that he got. He was, he was taking the Christians and dipping them in tar and lighting them up and, and putting them on sticks to light the roads to his castles. This Nero. Crazy. I mean. And that's the guy that Paul was writing about. Be subject to the governing authorities because they, they do not bear the sword in vain. So the Lord gives to the government the authority to wield the sword. This is now we see in the police carrying batons and, and guns and in the military carrying guns and weapons and missiles and so forth. That's, the sword, that's what the sword looks like in our own day. And it is right that there is a sword. But, but, and here's the point, you can't miss this point. Just because someone has the authority to do something doesn't mean that that authority is always used rightly. Just because the parent has the authority to discipline the child doesn't mean that the parents can't abuse the child. Just because the pastor has the authority to teach in the church doesn't mean that the pastor will always teach things that are true. Just because the state has the authority to wage war doesn't mean that every war is a right and just war. In other words, just because authority is there doesn't mean that that authority cannot be abused. It can be abused. A pastor can teach falsely. Parents can treat their children poorly. And governments can make mistakes. Soldiers can make mistakes. They can sin. And so too police. With the authority comes a distinct responsibility to do what's right because... And this is something we all instinctively know, but it's true in the scriptures as well. Because when we're sinned against by the person in authority, it does more damage. It's one of the things that perhaps the Lutherans have not talked enough about, the, the particular damage that sin does to us. We know that any sin deserves God's eternal wrath, and so we say, you know, one is just as bad as the other. We look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you call your brother a fool, you've murdered him in your heart from... God's perspective, 
calling someone a fool and and stabbing them in the back is the same is the same thing. But to your neighbor, it's not. I'd much rather be called a fool than than you to come after me with an ice pick. <laughs> Some sins do more damage to 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 our neighbor and to the whole culture of society than others. And this is how it is for sin done in authority. It's it is much worse. If a stranger abuses someone versus if a parent abuses someone, it's much worse if it happens from someone in authority. That's why we want to protect them, especially the children, because children are under authority in every place that they go, at home, at, at church, at school, they're, they're under authority. And it's, so we have to pr protect them because when someone is abused by someone in authority over them, it does deep, deep damage. And that is the sort of the, the, the gut reaction of the of the protests that are happening right now it's this that there was someone in authority that abused that authority that sinned against someone under their authority now they're dead ah and it just hurts but with that hurt like every time we're sinned against comes an opportunity for an even worse sin and that's what we got to talk about after the break so you listen to Cross the Fence. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfman. Thanks for sticking with me as we wander, wander through these things. We haven't even gotten to the discussion of the Holy Spirit yet. We'll see if that, if we'll have time for that as well. If you have any thoughts or comments, Twitter at b Wolfmuller. I should see him here if I'm using this thing right. And, and we'll be right back after a short break. This week on Issues Etc., we're going to discuss the prosperity gospel with Hank Hanegraaff. We'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of James, and we'll continue our series on the words of Scripture, talking with Pastor Will Whedon about gentleness in the Bible. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to CrossFence. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here. Pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches sandwiching the protests in Austin, Texas. And we're talking about that. We were talking about, let's see, first segment, we talked about the danger of being sinned against. We second segment, we talked about how the Bible has no place for racism. And the, the, the point of uh, this point, that even though the Lord gives authority, that doesn't mean that authority is always right. That, there can, that those in authority can sin against those under their authority, and that is a particularly dangerous sin. That's why, that's why, for example, the Bible says that not many should be teachers, because they will come under a stricter judgment. When you enter into an office of authority, you enter into a, a dangerous place. Uh, remember the Spider-Man thing? I can't remember it, but with something comes responsibility. With power, oh yeah, that's a... With great power comes great responsibility. Because when you have authority, you can hurt. You really can do damage to the people uh, that are under your authority. 
You know, if I'm just a, sitting here talking to myself on the sidewalk, it probably can't do that much damage. But as soon as I get the microphone, and now I'm, I have some sort of strange authority, public teaching, uh, even here on the radio, that I can do damage. More damage. It expands the amount of damage that you can do. And it and it, it hurts when we are under the abuse of those in authority. And then, then the devil comes. Now, here's where we need to see clearly. That just like the devil does any time we're sinned against, the devil comes along and he wants us to be angry and to retaliate with sin, especially when we are sinned against those who have authority over us. We are tempted to come back with anger and not only at that person, but also with the whole structure. There's a temptation for those who had, who had bad fathers. To, to not just be angry at their father, but to be angry at the whole office of fatherhood. There's those who are abused by whatever in authority. There are those who grew up, you know, abused in the church. Let's take that for an example. And rather than, and rather than see that as the sin of the particular person that sinned against them, it becomes now the devil uses that occasion to overthrow the whole thing. If we're hurt by the state, we want to overthrow the entirety of the state. This is now the temptation. So the temptation that comes in the protests is the temptation to just throw off all authority altogether. I saw a sign yesterday when I was driving in, by one of the protesters, and it said, Jesus was killed by the police. Now, that's a curious thing, but what is that trying to do? What, is this, what effect is that rhetoric trying to have? And I suppose what it does is that the, if, is saying that anyone having this sort of authority, anyone who bears the sword is going, to do, is going to do poorly, and so we should take the sword from the people who bear the sword. Something like a peasant's revolt. Now, what is the right thing to do when we are abused by those who are in authority over us? And the first is, and of course, and this, this is not meant to sound trite, and this should not sound trite to Christian ears. The first thing is we pray. And we pray that the Lord would come and fight our fight for us. We, we plead our case before the throne of God and ask for his judgment to come. This is an important part of the Psalms, is that these Psalms are crying out for those who are suffering injustice. And half the time the, the, the Lord acts in the scriptures, maybe even more than that, it's because he's heard the, the prayers of his people for, for redress for their cause, for, for, to, that he would rescue them from oppression. This is remember what the Lord said Moses ought to tell the people I've heard their cries under the oppression of the Pharaoh and I'm going to answer their prayers I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver them so that we pray and trust that the Lord hears our prayers and will come and deliver us 
that vengeance belongs to the Lord, that he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, so that all those who have authority are also under authority and under the authority of God. We pray. And we bring our prayers also to those who have authority who can do something about it. We petition those who have the rightful authority that they would exercise their authority and that there would be justice. And we suffer in hope. I mean, this is a hard thing. The Christian life is a life of suffering. The Christian life is a life of affliction. The Christian life is a life of persecution. And, and in fact, we know better. We know that if Jesus, and you know, to go back to this sign, Jesus was, was killed by police. And if, Je if, it, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Now, this is a... This doesn't mean that we turn a, a blind eye to injustice by, by no means. We recognize that this, all these authorities are given by God and that abuse and authority is a terrible thing. This, if, if I didn't say that clear enough, let me say it again. I mean, it is a, everyone who is in authority bears a responsibility to reflect the glory and image and word of God in that office so as to not hurt and harm those under your authority. All of us in authority bear that charge. Every pastor, every father, every elected official, every mom, every boss, every teacher bears that responsibility. Every soldier, every policeman, every judge bears that high office and bears that high responsibility. The way the Lord sees it, it's for those who have the office to suffer, not to the people, to, not for them to cause suffering. It's for the shepherd to lay down their lives for the sheep. That's the, the way the Lord would have us do it. But anyway, the, even if you don't get to that point, everyone who has authority is to be exercising that authority with especial care, concern, to give their life for those who are under their authority. That's the, that's the biblical pattern of the whole thing. But when it doesn't happen, then we know how to suffer. To cry out for relief. To march, I suppose. Although I'm not sure the march is a Christian idea, but to, but to come together to, to ask for, for, for concern and care. But not to loot. Not to try to destroy the world. Not to try to, not to, try to overthrow the authority that the person had and abused. To know that the abuse of authority should not, does not commend to us the destruction of authority, but rather the right use of authority. And to recognize that. Well, it's a time for prayer, especially in our nation, that we who we who can see how the Lord looks at these things would constantly stand before the Lord and beg Him for peace, beg Him for mercy, beg Him for wisdom for those who are in authority, that they would exercise their authority with, with righteousness so that we could cry out to the Lord in, in peace. Now, there's some just a thoughts about it. Now, I want to talk about Pentecost. If you guys have thoughts about that, I'd love to hear it, by the way. I'm still, you know, I'm still wrestling through some of these things myself. So I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You can get a hold of me. Oh, wolfmuller.co slash contact is the best way to do it. 
and that will send me some more email those emails come straight to me so if they are read they are read by me <laughs> if I get to them all right let's talk about Pentecost it's Pentecost week and this really should be what we talked about the whole time but we just got a few minutes but this is the week that Jesus that we celebrate that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit remember the Pen that Pentecost means 50 days what is the only uh, day in the Christian church year that comes from the Old Testament calendar of feasts Every other Old Testament feast, atonement, and Passover, and everything—that all those were—they um, were left in the Old Testament as Jesus instituted the New Testament. But Pentecost, it so happens that we celebrate Pentecost because on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Now, the Old Testament Pentecost and the New Testament Pentecost are very, very different. The Old Testament Pentecost was celebrating the giving of the Ten Commandments. How about that? Fifty days after they passed out of Egypt, came to Mount Sinai, the Lord gives the gives the Ten Commandments to the people. Our Pentecost is celebrating the giving of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, 10 days after his ascension. And Jesus had promised, it's good for you that I go away, because if I didn't go, I wouldn't send the Holy Spirit. But because I'm going away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, so that the ascension of Jesus is bound up to this great gift of the sending of the Holy Spirit. And why is it better? Because of the work that the Holy Spirit does. Now, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? We could talk about it in a couple of different ways but let's let's try this in a couple of minutes the Holy Spirit's main work is the work of holiness and the work of holiness comes to us in two ways there is the holiness of our sanctification of our forgiveness of sins the holiness of the gospel and there is the holiness of the law and the Holy Spirit is working both of these holinesses in us and through us now the first holiness, the holiness of the gospel, is the holiness of the forgiveness of sins, and that's brought to us by God the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the word, in the absolution, in the gift of baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and it is complete. He has sanctified completely those who are being made perfect, so that our first holiness is a complete holiness. It's bound up to the it is finished of the death of Jesus on the cross, so that according to the, according to the righteousness of God, according to the judgment of heaven, according to God's own looking at you, you are completely holy and righteous. Wonderful. In fact, you have the holiness of God. You have the righteousness of Christ. Uh, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's pretty amazing, the righteousness of God. So that when you wonder how holy you are, you have to just only think, well, how holy is God? That's how holy you are. How holy is Jesus? That's how holy you are, according to the doctrine of justification, according to the imputed righteousness of Christ, according to the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sins. And then there's the second holiness, the holiness of works, the holiness of the law, and this is incomplete. This is normally what we talk about when we talk about the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification, that the Holy Spirit comes and he strengthens us to do good works. He makes our sinful flesh disgusting to us, and he makes those things that God wants appealing to us. So the Holy Spirit gives us, as our old Lutheran fathers used to talk about it, gives us new inner motions. We start to want different things. We start to want good things instead of bad things. We start to want living things instead of dying things. We start to chase after the things that are righteous instead of the things that are unholy. And the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us. 
So there's a twofold holiness of the Christian. One is completed and the other is only just begun. This is one of the different, one of the ways that, that uh, our Lutheran theological language is distinct. So many traditions, Catholic and Protestant, talk about uh, a, a life of complete holiness, a life of Christian perfection. We know that when it comes to the law, our love for God and neighbor is only, only just begun. We're just beginning to love, just beginning to serve, just beginning to have wisdom, just beginning to know how to suffer, even while we are completely and, and perfectly redeemed and forgiven by Jesus. So we thank God that Jesus has ascended to his right hand so that he can send forth his Holy Spirit to give us this twofold gift of holiness. Oh, God be praised. May it, may it be so with us. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me this afternoon. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Uh, joining you and you're joining me in prayer that the Lord would have mercy on us all, that he would keep us all safe from violence, that he would, that he would give wisdom to all those who have authority to rule after God's good pleasure, and that he would give to all of us peace in the forgiveness of all of our sins, the confidence of eternal life and in the gift of the Holy Spirit who gets us started on this life of love. And God grant it for Christ's sake. God's peace be with you. We'll talk to you next week. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thank you for being part of the fun. God be praised that his theology speaks to us in, 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 and to every circumstance that we find ourselves in. If there was something helpful uh, in the broadcast today, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with those who could benefit uh, by it. And if you have any questions or, or thoughts or feedback, I would love to hear that as well. The best way to get a hold of me is on the website, wolfmuller.co slash contact. Or if I could figure it out, you can send me a tweet at bwolfmuller on the Twitter. But probably let's stick with the website, wolfmuller.co slash contact, contact. There's a lot of other theology uh, hanging around the website as well, so check all that out while you're there. And God's peace be with you. Talk to you next week.